Hi, and welcome to the Lehman Krellin Podcast. I'm your host, Damon Baker. In this podcast, we focus mainly on regulatory compliance issues coming out of the UK, but there is a global component to the content we present. We hope you get value out of this one. Thanks again for listening. So thanks everyone for joining us on another edition of the Lehman Krellin Podcast. Today, we're going to do Meet the Team, and we're going to have Martin Smith being interviewed today. How you doing, Martin? I'm doing very well, thanks. How are you? Hey, I cannot complain, right? So look, what I would like to do in these Meet the Teams is really just get a feel for your background, get an insight into what you've been doing in financial services, how you got into it, and what you're looking to do going forward with Lehman Krellin. Perfect. Let's start at the top. Where where did you go to uni and where did you grow up? So I grew up in, in southwest London, in Richmond, and my parents had kind of sent me off to, to boarding school since the age of eight. So I wanted to go back to, to London for uni and I managed to get a place at Thames Valley, which is now West London University, to do psychology. But it brought me back home, which was which was probably quite good after 10 years being away. Right. So, I mean, you were in boarding school in, in the UK? Yes. First down in Dorset and then down in Devon. So, you know, I live in Cornwall. It's a beautiful part of the world. It is indeed. So after uni, I mean, you had a psychology degree. How did you get into financial services or was it, did you have a different first job out of school? So, no, it was interesting because during uni, I'd managed to get work experience at, at EDNF Mann, who are a commodities broker. And I spent time on the London Metals Exchange and then with their commodities traders and, and, and their sales and trading teams. And, and I tried to then kind of go for a job immediately after leaving uni. And, and, and somewhere within Microsoft Office has to be a standard rejection letter because I got a lot of these and they were like, you don't have the experience and sadly, we're not willing to give it to you. And I thought, well, this is a bit of a kind of conundrum, which I'm going to have to figure out. So I ended up going to IMRO, uh, doing, doing the IMRO Investment Management Certificate at BPP in London. So I essentially became a qualified fund manager, which was comical because all the other guys were from Goldman's and JP and 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 Credit Suisse and stuff like that. And then there was me who was just self-funding my own path through this. But what was interesting was when I came out and got the the investment management certificate, which is like one level below the CSA, kind of the, you know, the chartered front, the CFA, I mean, all of the companies who had sent me rejection letters now were kind of scrambling to get a qualified fund manager at sort of bargain basement entry level rates. And so I immediately got a gig at uh, Morgan Stanley doing swaps and derivatives control and stuff like that. And I did that for, for six months. And then Credit Suisse came along with a massive anti-money laundering project, uh, which they had to do. This was back in 2000. And so then they kind of lured me across Cabot Square to, uh, to, to Credit Suisse. And, and there I stayed for a good number of years. Right. So we, we had, I, mean, I don't want to say overlap because I was not at Credit Suisse, but I used to work at Barclays Capital. And one side of our building okay, okay. looked over at you guys. You had a gym yes, at the bottom did. of that place, right? Swimming pool even. We we did. Yes, we did. So there was on the ground floor one of those. Well, so I did two and a half years of I did two and a half years of uh, of this anti-money laundering project, and then that was kind of running to coming to coming to an end, I suppose. And I decided then that was a good time to go traveling. So I packed up, went around the world for the backpack for ten months. And when I came back, I thought, well, it's either go back into finance or it's go to see whether there's something else in life which I'd like. And I just met a, a, a person who worked for, for CBS in Los Angeles, and, and that kind of tempted me with the idea of journalism. 
So I went then back to university to do a postgraduate in broadcast journalism at London College of Printing. And then immediately after that, we got we got a, a role kind of working for NATO and the Royal Navy, training naval officers how to deal with the press during kind of war zone simulations, which they run year round up in the North Atlantic. And we did that for a while and then went out to, to Los Angeles to work for CBS News for a bit and did that for the rest of the year until kind of time came to go back to the UK. And kind of I'd realized at that point that actually a career in finance was probably where I wanted to be. Fun as the journalism and, and the, the reporter producing was, a lot of kind of different reasons led me back into, in, into finance. And so back to London, I went. So, I mean, I'd had a good relationship with Robert Walters. And so they immediately, when I landed, they immediately had, had a role for me. So we did placements with HBOS. National Bank of Greece and so on, until a control room role came up with Credit Suisse. And so back to Credit Suisse, I went, and this was 2005. And we did two and a half years in the London control room and also covering corporate banking and, and all the classic control room related stuff. But my, my focus area or coverage area was, was corporate banking. And then in 07, I got asked to go to Hong Kong. And it was at a time when nobody really wanted to come out to Asia. The, 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 the kind of... The demand was really New York, London, and, and, and so on. And Asia was a very small operation back then, was about 40-odd people in compliance in Asia. And so I came out and did six months in the control room here as the continuation of, of, of my role in London. And then the head of compliance made me her chief of staff, which was a role which I then kind of continued through the next six or seven incumbents of that role, and as the department morphed from just the standalone compliance to merging with legal, demerging with legal, merging with risk, demerging from risk, I then kind of saw the, the progressive growth of that department until when I left earlier this year, it had grown to about 430 people. So it was a considerable expansion exercise, which we oversaw in that role, but it made it constantly challenging, never repetitive and actually really enjoyable. So things have changed, you know, contextually there's been more pressure put on banks to really increase regulatory compliance or was it more driven from the business side so what was the driver there internal or external i think it i think it was both i think if i if i look back on 2007 in asia small outlying market hadn't really blown up people were still concerned after kind of sars and and, and the asian financial crisis so you know which had kind of been hit quite hard, right? A lot of the big tiger economies have been severely hit after, after you know, 07, 08. But then it, it kind of came this, this very quick turnaround, and I think quicker than a lot of other markets. And the focus then became a drive on building out Asia, focusing on China, leveraging all of the opportunities that that presented, as well as all of those kind of developing markets, which, which were really starting to boom, whether it was Thailand or Indonesia and stuff like that. And of course, Japan and Australia were always staples. But I think at, after the, the trouble in London and Europe and New York and stuff, these banks put a lot more focus on Asia. And I think we then also got the regulatory focus, certainly from home regulators and also from the progressive regulators in Asia, you know, in Hong Kong, Japan, Singapore, etc., who very quickly learned what, what was required with such an uptick in business. And so the growth came not only from internal business drive, but also from the regulatory pressure, meaning that we had to put in a lot more control, a lot more governance. Teams had to be boosted also because of the, the business was booming requiring more people. And so everything kind of came into this this kind of perfect kind of 
melting pot of reasons to grow the, the, the department as as the business grew. And that was always the problem, right? Staying on top of on top of the business. It's 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 hard to scale up a control function in advance of the business. So you tend to be doing it either in parallel or just slightly lagged behind them. Yeah, yeah. And that's sometimes tough because like you said, you're playing catch up, right? Mm. Yeah, exactly. I get coverage wise why you've joined forces with Lehman Krellin because you're in Asia and then, I mean, that's a, that's a huge market, but what about on coverage area? So what's your focus with Kath and the team? So, I mean, my areas of expertise out of, out of all of the years, and I had 18, 20 years at Credit Suisse really were around building out governance, risk and control frameworks and, and, and structures and not literally just paying lip service to what the regulation requires, but going further and implementing a really kind of thorough understanding within the teams, within the processes, within the technology, so that all of those those three core pillars progress at the same time when you build out your governance structure. Just training your people doesn't help if you don't have the process and the technology. Developing the process doesn't help if you don't have the tech. And so I spent a lot of time at my old shop building out compliance governance platforms, frameworks, processes, et cetera. So that as the teams grew, we had the escalation, we had the reporting, we had the analytics and the insight and all of that to match. So that it, it, it goes in, it, it's one big kind of front moving forward, if you like, as you need to improve and progress and, and doing that right is tricky. So, I think that's one of the big areas of expertise, which I kind of brought to, to Lehman Krellin. Um, also understanding Asian regulatory frameworks, which are far more fragmented, have different priorities and focuses, depending on the country, depending on the business, depending on, you know, kind of the blow ups that they themselves have, have had. And also on the technology side, compliance is, is, is critically under tech when you get into the coverage compliance space. Financial crime and, and monitoring and surveillance and, and control room have historically always been very well teched because they have to be. Those are jobs which can't be done manually. You need a platform for it. So in those areas, people buy the tech. What we found when you start addressing coverage compliance is people will buy the benefits and the tech is the supplemental thing that just comes to give you those benefits. They are not mandated to people aren't mandated by regulation to digitalize compliance, but the opportunities available for them if they do digitalize compliance and if they systematize their coverage spaces is huge because you now get a thorough insight into the risks that your people are dealing with. You get to see the trends and patterns across entities and countries, and you get to be able to justify what your coverage teams are doing, which has always historically been a major problem for chief compliance officers and for team leaders and stuff like that. So those kind of those two areas, which do go hand in hand, are probably the biggest things which I bring to Lehman Krellin. And as you say, look, this it allows an exposure out here in Asia to have the presence. It allows me to be able to kind of tap network, which I've built over the last, you know, since I've been here for since 2007, um, which is which is considerable. But it also allows clients of Lehman Krellin who have uh, a predominantly European presence to be able to leverage Lehman Krellin's skills and, and experience out here in Asia, where they may not necessarily previously have had that opportunity. So. Hopefully, that's what we can kind of bring to the uh, bring to the company, uh, um, 
and and yeah and offer that kind of expertise out here where i think you're going to find it's required more because of the various locations because of the difficulty for chief compliance officers to see across all those locations that having that kind of expertise in governance and control and, and stuff like that is is going to be of benefit to clients. That's a huge benefit. Absolutely. I'm seeing it a little bit more as well on the digital asset side of things. So, you know, you've got fragmented regulatory coverage and you've got a natively global business when it comes to crypto trading, right? Yeah. yeah. It's almost, you know, in some ways it's like FX. You've got that 24-hour FX book, you know, that travels from Asia to London, or actually to probably to the Middle East, then to London, then to New York that follow the Sun model. But with crypto, it's there's no, it's not quite the same as what we've seen in traditional assets. And so, very, very true. I, yeah, and I'm, I'm wondering if you're seeing any clients who are showing interest in the digital asset side of things out in, in your part of the world. There is. And what's interesting is when you see the license applications for, you know, for the large crypto exchanges, whether it's Ripple, who's got it, Binance, who are still trying to get it in a lot of these markets, there is there's huge appetite, I think, for the products and the underlying benefits that they bring in Asia. I think there's also considerable regulatory scrutiny and uncertainty about and of course things like ftx and stuff like that certainly don't help because it alarms regulators have always been kind of slower to to understand technology than they have been to understand a, a business product a classic investment banking private banking business product because of the nature of 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 the beast right that it's tech moves faster. It can evolve quicker. It's harder to keep an eye on. When you start integrating things like cloud computing, decentralized models, this becomes an alarm for a regulator. And so I think there is definitely the appetite here, but I also think that there's a far higher degree of regulatory caution around the granting of licenses and stuff like that. And in Asia, I mean, Asia is incredibly tech savvy. You only have to go to China to see what they've achieved with WeChat and what Alipay and stuff like that have done. But in pretty much every Asian market, be it Hong Kong or Singapore and stuff, digital payments is massive. You know, you, you don't need to use a credit card nowadays. You can literally do everything through scan a QR code and pay through your digital payment app. And this is off. This is a functionality offered by virtually every big bank out here. Certainly, the domestic banks, and in that sense, they're they're, you know, further ahead than you may get in in European or American markets in that regard. So, in one way, the regulators are very innovative and progressive, with homegrown applications that they can control. I think that that caution comes around stuff which comes from outside their domestic markets over which they don't necessarily have the same degree of control or nor insight into what is really going on, especially if something bad happens. And so I think, yes, you get the, the, the interest for it, but you also get a lot of caution around allowing it to kind of come into these markets. Got it. And what that leads is to a very controlled way of regulatory and then, of course, business build out. And it sounds like that's something that you're good at. Like you said, you're, you're pushing on GRC as fronts, right? And there's a yes, massive yes. amount of coordination and integration that has to happen in order for that to be effective. 
And so, hugely so. Yeah, I can definitely see how th- your approach works well given their kind of natural caution. Yeah, I think so because I think what what regulators really want to see is is a coordinated plan that there is logic and that there is a solid foundation. And the solid foundation is where most people go wrong. You see financial institutions implementing very big kind of uh, golden projects, throwing colossal resources at it, but their drive is to deliver to market, often at the expense of putting in the firm foundation that is required. And quite often the firm foundation requires data, that if your data is not in a good in a good place, you know, I've seen I've seen places where, you know, they have through mergers and stuff, their systems use two different date formats. You know, the U.S. date format, international date formats, they, they don't reconcile. They have different fields for the customer name. And it's as simple as this. Is it surname, Christian name, Christian name, surname, one field, three fields? You know, until you get your data sorted, any kind of proper governance and control framework will always tend to fail no matter how many resources you throw at it and the, the 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 funds that you allocate if you don't spend the time to do that that ground level bureaucratic necessity and and it's not glamorous but it is the difference between success and failure when you finally put in your 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 gleaming tower of steel and glass tech system thereafter if you haven't got the basics right and getting the basics right is so critically important to their governance risk and control stuff got it and that's exactly your expertise is building the foundation I like that. That's 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 what we've been doing for a fair while. Yes. Very nice. So, Martin, any closing comments for us? Look, I think I think this is a really interesting opportunity for for Lehman Krellin. You know, it's been five years of successful business development, kind of largely out of the UK and 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 peripheral markets. But to be able to now bring that bring the name and bring kind of you know the the skills and expertise that the company offers out here through to asia to asian clients to subsidiaries of of you know european based entities i think is is a really interesting opportunity and i think it comes at at, at just the right time you know we we've seen blow ups in in regulatory space out here in asia uh, kind of increasing i think regulators have become savvy to to lax and you know not well formed governance frameworks uh, I think it's a good time for us to be able to kind of bring these skills to bear for the benefit of those clients and and the wider market, right? Because I think ultimately, at the end of the day, what regulators want is stability of their local market. And the more that the more kind of players that are singing from the right hymn sheet, so much the better. And if Lehman Crown can have a part to play in that, then so be it. Excellent. I couldn't have said it better myself. So I like to sign off with wise words from Martin Smith. <laughs> Thanks for your time. I do appreciate the insights as well. Absolute pleasure, Damon. Thank you for yours. As we bring this episode to a close, I'd like to ask you to drop in a five-star rating, please. It'd really help us out. Also, check out the website for more content at www.lehmancrellin.co.uk. Don't forget to join us next time on the Lehman Crellin podcast. Until then, thanks for your time. Goodbye.